Too many who know the angles Uncover and untangle All the questions and the webs left out to tangle be in I'm Dapper Dan Gavastin, and I'm the founder and editor of the new AmazingSpiderTalk.com. And I'm the mischievous Mark Chinacchio, founder of the Chasing Amazing blog and author of 100 Things Spider-Man Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. Thanks, everybody, for joining us for a special review roundup episode of the all-new Amazing Spider-Talk. We hope you enjoy this podcast and that it provides an intelligent conversation between two fans and collectors as we look at the Spider-Man comic universe in a bit of a bigger picture. Today, we're going to be rounding up a series of reviews from Amazing Spider-Man that originally premiered for our Patreon supporters back when these issues were first published. That's right. We're going to be reviewing Amazing Spider-Man Volume 5, number 24 and 25, two issues that transitioned from Hunted and then started introducing more clues about Kindred and saw MJ step back into the spotlight. Remember, this episode wouldn't be possible without the support from our wonderful Patreon subscribers whose patronage allows us to assemble the guests we have on the show and do all of our research. So if you enjoy the show and you want to help us continue while getting amazing bonus content like these reviews when they were originally released to our Patreon subscribers and additional episodes that we never release publicly, go to our show notes and check out the Patreon page and consider joining our team. Now let's get to the action. We hope you enjoy our review of Amazing Spider-Man number 24. What's new? The comic that we are talking about today is the newest issue of Amazing Spider-Man, issue number 24. Uh, I guess that makes it Legacy 825. Is that right, Dan? My, I don't have my notes in front of me. <laughs> it's an anniversary issue. Oh, my goodness. It's foil embossed. Well, that makes sense that we got like this really interesting reveal at the end of this issue, Dan. Uh, of course, this uh, reunites Nick Spencer and Ryan Otley again. As This is the first... It's kind of a coda to... Hunted, I guess, or well, no, it's 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 not a code to hunted. It's 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 the first part of this next storyline. It's kind of setting up uh, the man that we have been re- or woman that we have been referring to as Shush. Rest rest in peace, Shush. I'm. St- I mean, okay, look, like we we he, he this character got a new nickname at the end of this issue, but I, I'm I'm holding on to Shush, Dan. I'm I I don't know. I I I feel like. I don't want to give up that ghost, man. I love it. I love it too much. I love it too. I, honestly, like, I mean, we're biased, but like, I think Shush is a better name. And and Nick Spencer can insert as many making fun of us for giving him a nickname into this comic. But like, I like the nickname Shush. Like, I think it's a cool name for that character. Although someone like in speculating about who Shush or Kindred is, to uh, use the name Centipede. And I was like, oh, now that's cool, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty good. That's pretty good. I like that centipede. 
Uh, but anyway, why don't we why don't we get right into it? We'll talk a little bit about this comic. We're out of the out of the shadows of Hunted, and we are uh, brought immediately to Peter and MJ together in in uh, post in uh, I almost called it marital bliss, but it's relationship bliss here, uh, hanging out in a web hammock at the Baxter Building. Is that what I believed it was to be? No, I think it's the endless stair building that is a real building in in New York City. Oh, okay, I, th- I I for some reason thought it was like related to the Fantastic Four being back, but I've never heard of this building before. But like someone sent me an image of it online, and I was like, oh, I I guess that's a thing that exists in New York. Well, there we go. Uh, I'm I'm learning more and more every day here, Dan. Uh, let's let's just get right into it in terms of talking about Peter and MJ here, because like uh, you know. This relationship has obviously been the focal point of the Nick Spencer run, reuniting the two of them and, you know, kicking this off here. You know, Peter is kind of relishing in the fact that he's back with MJ and that she's okay. But man, there is just something about the words and the melodrama of all this that doesn't feel right. It's just all this talk about, I must be dreaming and this doesn't feel real. And, you know, like, I, I feel like the lady doth protest too much here, Dan. What's what's up? Am I am I am I are your spidey senses tingling? Is your Peter tingle tingling? <laughs> well, we've actually been saying this for like a, like a little while. I feel like like through a number of these MJ sequences, Peter has been remarking on how this doesn't feel real, you know. And uh, I don't feel like it's really felt that real to me, to be honest, because I don't think a lot of work has really been done to to really make me buy into their relationship other than that they're like like sexual partners with each other. Every scene with them is them lying down in bed or wet in the webs or whatever. And we get some nice stuff with like the look-ups, which convinced me that like this isn't like a fake MJ. And whether they're exploring like how Peter is in his head all the time and it's kind of always a bit dreamy or like there's something up with MJ be- actually being a dream of some kind – you're you're right that they keep returning to this idea yeah it it feel it doesn't sit right with me you're you're right like there's something off yeah i mean i and you know obviously the further we get into this comic we're playing a lot with what's real what's illusion what's dream what's what's being conjured up by kindred or shush or whatever you want to call them I feel like we're about to enter a period of comics here Dan where um it's going to be very difficult to fully believe everything we see on the pages which I don't know how I feel about that. That kind of can get frustrating after a while if they doesn't play by a set of rules and is unfair. But, you know, let's reserve judgment until we get to a point of unfairness, right? <laughs> yeah, and I, I will withhold judgment on this MJ thing. I think I'm actually being a little less critical of it than I, than I would. Like, I don't love the portrayal of her in these comics and throughout most of the Nick Spencer run. But, like, I also kind of don't believe it, which makes me, like, less invested in being critical of it. And I don't know if I'm supposed to feel that way, but, like... He's saying it on the page, like, this doesn't feel real, and so I kind of feel that way. It's a weird thing. But I also don't think that they, like, and I would consider this the ultimate third rail of Spider-Man comics, I just don't think they would go down the path of, like, reconnecting Spider-Man with MJ only for them to, like, undo it shortly thereafter or suggest it wasn't real at all. That would be such trolling of a certain audience you know, I know Nick Spencer likes to play with people, but like to me, that would be like the coup de grace of like killing people's interest in like who just came back to Spider-Man after like 
finally burying their feelings about the MJ brand new day stuff. Oh yeah, without a doubt. And I don't I don't think I don't think that's where it's going, but like it I mean, I'm thinking more for storyline purposes though. Something's up with all this. Like and and we're you know, this seems to be the story where we're going to find out what's up. In addition to that, I mean, we 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 get a little more fallout from Hunted here. Least to if some you want to call it that. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I mean, like it, it does ultimately lead, lead to, I think, a pretty interesting kernel here. But before that, let me just kind of give one more little slam to Hunted. You know, Peter is kind of, you know, we're talking about Peter's dreamy state and not being fully engaged in the moment with MJ there. Instead, he's kind of lost in, in space. And, you know, here he's kind of blaming it on on the events of Hunted. Well, you know, I just been through this trial with Craven, and oh man. And like, to me, like, this is like the epitome of like, you know, they usually say in good storytelling to show, don't tell. This is the opposite. This is telling and not showing. Like, there, I mean, like maybe if we had some moments in Hunted where we really got into Peter's psyche, but that was like our major complaint about Hunted is we were never inside of Peter's head that entire story. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I tell you, I tell you folks, it really shook me up. Yeah, I, I'm really, I'm really upset, guys. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta <laughs> trust me on this. But again, it does. I do feel that there's an interesting moment here. I mean, you know, we're talking about this Peter MJ relationship and and our feelings about it, and not being totally invested as as readers per se. Uh, but I do think it's kind of engaging uh, about this this concept that maybe Peter is even perhaps blowing it with MJ uh, because he is he's so caught up in these visions of her being hurt and like treating her like this, like this constant victim instead of letting her, you know, appreciating her and appreciating her agency. Right. Yeah. And I, I really like that here. I'm glad we getting kind of like a follow up on that from hunted. Like it suggests that this thread is going to continue and develop. And now we're seeing MJ reacting to it in person, which is like, Peter is just not present. And, you know, I think it would be a more powerful scene if MJ felt like a fully fleshed out character with a little more agency than just being this kind of like sexed up doll of his, you know, uh, it's like, oh, no, the sexed up doll pr- protests too much. But <laughs> yeah, it, it's at least suggesting that this was a this is going to be a long term, you know, kernel, you know, that they're dealing with in this series is, you know, Peter's mental state in some way. Uh, so then from there, we get reintroduced to our good friend Mysterio. Um, how perfectly timed, right? I mean, what a coincidence <laughs> uh, for Mysterio to be showing up at the same time that he's in a... And yet it doesn't really feel like a like a tie-in, like in the way that, say, like the lizard did around Amazing Spider-Man 2. Remember that, where we had oh, to bring... Yeah. We had to bring Superior Spider-Man to a halt... So that we could get the lizard introduced, right? Like right, it just had right. to happen, yeah. Or was it the goblin? I can't even remember. Yeah, no, I, I think, I think. Well, no, they brought Peter back in time for Amazing Spider-Man Two, and they brought Lizard in for Amazing Spider-Man One. I think that was when, it. That was it. Yeah, like, right, right. During the build-up to Seven Hundred, they like completely stopped the momentum of those stories to like do a little lizard interlude. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, like it's fun. I, I actually really like the, this Mysterio callback. I mean, like. I feel like Spencer, way back in the day when we had him on the show at the at Terrificon, you know, he talked about kind of reading up on his stuff. And I feel like Spencer has consistently done a good job of kind of like 
bringing us up to speed on these like legacy characters. Like I really liked with Mysterio, we got some callbacks to some classic moments from Amazing Spider-Man history. We also got some classic moments of Mysterio from his the Kevin Smith Daredevil run, uh, where Mysterio showed up there and of course committed suicide. With some of Spencer's humor, I liked Mysterio talking about you know suing the estate the estate of Craven off or uh, offing yourself after beating your <laughs> besting your besting your adversary. But like these are good, and Otley has is having a lot of fun with the artwork here. These are good little flashbacks. Do you agree? Uh, I agreed, and I like the coloring in it a lot. Uh, the the suicide that's like rendered in all red, I thought was a really striking you know panel. The the art really sells a lot of these things. Uh, I want to you know hats off to Otley and and the art team that that's pulling this together. I really liked another thing that Otley did. So we're getting this therapist sequence where you know Mysterio is kind of being you know, prodded at by this therapist about his kind of recent, like kind of breakdown in court where, you know, he was kind of shown to be like psychologically damaged in, in some way and was sent off to Ravencroft. And uh, the therapist himself is obscured in shadow, which I thought was really nice and really kind of made me want to uh, pay extra attention to who that character was. And I thought at first, like, well, that's going to be shush slash kindred. But like when I started looking at it closer, like the I was like, well, who is this person? It's like really intentional that their face wasn't shown. And I had, you know, been talking looking at Mysterio stuff, you know, online for, you know, talking about Far From Home. And it's Ludwig Reinhardt in the, who's the psychologist. It's the psychiatrist or psychologist that Mysterio created uh, you know, back during the was it the Remita run? Where he's Dicko. It's Dicko, yeah. Yeah, 24, right? When he turns the room upside down and everything, right? Yeah, and creates the holograms of all Spider-Man's villains in an attempt to convince him that he's insane. Yes. And yeah, that's Ludwig Reinhardt here. And I think there's a number of elements to this scene that suggest that it's not real. And then I think like Shush himself suggests that it's not real later on in the comic. Like why is Mysterio in his costume in therapy when we see him in jail (laughs) in like an orange jumpsuit, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. So like this whole scene seems like baloney to me in, in some way. And I don't know whether the clues that we get from here regarding Kindred's identity can be entirely trusted. I think it would be weird to not trust them, but like, I think there are elements that suggest that this is very much a dream or in the mind state of Mysterio, because like, why else would Ludwig Reinhardt be in there? And why would he be in costume? Right. No, I mean there there definitely seems to be some misdirection here, but but Dan, I don't I don't mean to cut to the chase here, but like I think probably the vast majority of people who are listening in, they they want us to talk about kindred. They want us to talk about Shush. I mean, heck, I think Nick Spencer wants us talking about this character because like we finally seem to be moving towards the direction of getting a sense of maybe who this character is, or at least teasing who this character is. Do we want to just start breaking this down? Well, real quick before we get into that, do you think that Mysterio is dead? I do not. I think this was an illusion. I think this was an illusion perpetrated by Kindred. I think so, too. We'll see. I mean, I think if he is dead, interesting way to go and raises the stakes, but I don't believe it. No, I, 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 don't, I don't believe it for a minute. I, I think this was, this was all part of this illusion that was conjured up by... Kindred or 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 Shush or whatever you want to call him. Well, let's let's talk about Kindred for a second. So okay, you know, so this character at the ve- you know very last panel, 
refers to himself as kindred. And and not to sound like a total dork here, but Webster's Dictionary... <laughs> I love starting a sentence like that. Webster's Dictionary defines kindred as familiar relation or similar. So, I mean, I think that is, you know, your biggest clue right there. So, this this character would not be revealing himself as kindred unless there was some kind of very close relationship to Peter or undeniable similarity. So, I mean, what could that be, Dan? What do, what do we know? I mean, do we want to go line? How do, we, how do we want to do this, Dan? Well, I went through all the issues of Kindred's appearance, and I've laid out all the clues that we've got thus far. So I figure we just put them out on the table, and we can refer back to this moment in future episodes. Like, this is a list of all the things we know at this point. And I think that we're meant to be able to make guesses at this point. Like, do you think that Nick Spencer feels as though he's given us enough clues. Yeah. I have a feeling some of the guesses that we have at least brandied about over text message to each other, Dan, I think one of them is going to bear fruit. Okay. So let's go through all of the things that we've learned this far. So yes, Kindred's definition, familiar relation or similar. And you made a, 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 like a lot of these are from this issue. You made a special note about the art in this issue. Yeah, there's a, there's a page towards the end uh, where it's it's showing Kindred kind of leaping towards the page in attack position to take out Mysterio. And I thought it was interesting on a couple of levels. There was, first of all, it's a very Spider-Man-ish pose in terms of like the positioning of his legs and how he's like kind of leaping out like a spider. So that that's that's the first clue. The other clue is the the positioning of the millipedes, which, you know, the... They're centipedes. I, I think they're technically millipedes, Dan. Yes, they are millipedes. Yeah. I, you know, I, I, I don't want to. I don't want to. You know, throw. We can call them millipede. Millipede. Uh, <laughs> I'll take millipede. You know, I think there was something very intentional. I mean, you know, this character has used these insects to to strike and kill opponents, and in this panel specifically, they're the these they're coming out of them almost like extra appendages, specifically. Well, there was only three of them showing. They didn't show four, but it looked very strikingly like Dr. Octopus, right, Dan? They looked like his mechanical arms. I mean, I, ag- sh- I agree. And if I wanted to really hem and haw, he's always had three attack appendages. So you could maybe say Iron Spider, but it seems much more akin to Doc Ock. Yeah. And then, you know, the last thing that I thought was kind of interesting about this visual, um, although I feel like from appearance to appearance, this has kind of changed a bit based on the coloring, is the hood and the tunic that Kindred is wearing is all purple, which would maybe suggest, well, who do we know wears purple, Dan? The Green Goblin. There we go. Just off of those things alone, we got three things to go off of. We got something very Spider-Man-ish, something that's Doc Ock, and something that's Green Goblin. And and the hood itself is shaped like the Hobgoblin's hood, right? It's got the dip in the middle that comes down over the face. So there's something goblinish about it for sure. Right. So what what other things do you have from from your tour through Kindred history here, Dan? I just want this isn't Kindred related, but I did want to like bring back that like we've got the like across all the spider titles, the look out thing that I've been, you know, picking out, the stuff the reference to Captain Stacy and like, you know, for a half second my brain is like is this Captain Stacy coming back from the dead to avenge that Spider-Man didn't keep his daughter safe. I don't think that's it. But I did want to mention, like, it seems definitely intentional. Like, 
even you know spe- uh, friendly neighborhood Spider-Man is doing the lookout thing. So like it, that can't be an accident. But do I think it's kindred related? I'm not sure. But I wanted to to list it here. Um, yeah. It's just if I could poke one hole in that, because you brought this up to me the other day, and I think I pointed this out to you, is, you know, this character keeps referring to Peter as Pete. And in Captain Stacy's one moment where, you know, following Lookout, where he reveals that he knows Spider-Man's identity, he refers to him as Peter. So, so, I mean, it's, I do think that's important. Like, I feel like the Pete is very, you know, all of, all of Peter's close friends call him Pete. I That's think always, you're absolutely right because it's been consistent the whole time. Yeah. And I think like even like I, th- I remember talking to Ron Friends once and he mentioned how like when him and DeFalco would be plotting a story together, they would refer to him as Pete because they felt they were friends with him. Like that was kind of like. <laughs> oh, know. yeah. I do remember him saying that. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. So, so it's, it's it's a kinship. It's a kinship. Kindred. <laughs> <laughs> So it's anyway, Ron Friends. That's who Kindred oh, no! is. Oh, <laughs> no! Not Ron Friends. Oh, Ron. How could you? Uh, okay. What, what else you got, Dan? We know that Kindred is male because they refer to him specifically as him in bold letters um, in this book. So, like, I don't have to say it or whatever anymore as I was hemming and hawing last episode. We get this quote that says, that while you were there, you were tortured endlessly by a man. This is in reference to Mysterio. Another prisoner of hell who had climbed the ranks to become a demon himself. You know, there's a bunch of things you can kind of take out of that. I mean, obviously, like, apparently this person, whatever, Kindred, was a person at one time in hell and climbed the ranks to become a demon. So it implies that this person was dead before Mysterio killed himself, which was in 1999. And honestly, it kind of throws water on one of my theories, and I'll talk about that in a minute. So yeah, it was a man who's been dead for some time who has become a demon. So that's that. Okay. What else you got? <laughs> More. Okay. So we get the idea that like one of Kindred's powers seems very clearly that he can project images and illusions into the minds of many people. The only ones we can, I think, officially confirm are Peter and Mysterio, because like it seems like Dr. Reinhardt is seeing the visions as well, but that whole thing could be a vision in of itself. So two or three people confirmed can see the visions that he can project. So he's got some kind of mind projection, dreamscape powers of some some kind. Like part of my brain is like, is this just Mysterio going insane and using illusions on himself? Or but Mysterio could never pull off illusions to the level of like projecting them into people's minds. So there is something truly supernatural about this character. There, there's also um, I thought this was a weird, deliberate choice. You know, when when Kindred Kindred bursts into Mysterio's therapy session, he's singing "Ring Around the Rosie," which is really weird for him to just kind of start piping up out of nowhere. And, you know, in folklore, Ring Around the Rosie is associated with the Black Death. I don't think in reality it actually is associated with Black Death, but it's become like a bit of a myth that Ring Around the Rosie is talking about, like, people dying and falling to the ground with, like, rashes all over their body. But that Black Death really kind of lines up with the Kindred's powers because you see all these rats and millipedes and rotting things and it is the visuals of the Black Death that he's like kind of plaguing upon people. I don't know what that means, but 
like that's the connection I could I could make there with why he was singing that song. There's this idea that Kindred says to Spider-Man, I hope you feel responsible for the death of Mysterio. So it seems implied that Kindred seems to know something about Spider-Man's responsibility code in, in some way. And Kindred also says the bandages aren't necessary, that he's just hiding his face to keep Peter guessing, and that only by Peter guessing his name can they be together. And then he says, "All as it should have been all along. So, like, I don't know what the rules of being a demon are, if it's like uh, Beetlejuice or whatever, where you, right, right. <laughs> you have to say the name of Rumpelstiltskin and, and their powers are unlocked. So maybe Kindred truly isn't tangible at this moment. It's just a dream figment. And by saying the name, he'll be unlocked and unleashed upon the world in, in some way. But the all along thing is really weird that, like, he and Peter have been together forever. Um, we'll unpack that in a moment. He also says, I know what it's like to have a secret. Now, you could just take this on surface, you know, and suggest that Kendra's just saying, like, because he's hiding his face, he knows what it's like to have a secret. Or you could extrapolate on that and say, you know, he's another person that previously had a secret identity in, in, in some way. I'm not sure quite how to, you know, connect that. And then this is a really big one that where he says, I know what you did. You know, obviously, Kindred seems to be hanging on to some action Peter made in the past, whether that's like a slight against him or some other choice he made. That seems like a big deal, like because this whole thing seems to be hinging on this thing, that Peter did something that pissed this guy off in some way. We know that he has a relationship to Wilson Fisk. I think it's only a surface value as like Wilson Fisk wanted to bring Vanessa back from the dead and Kindred wouldn't allow it. But it implies that it's a bigger relationship than just Peter. This is a really stretch, but he says at one point, I'm not a monster, like suggesting there's a human underneath that in some way. But I did want to point out that Carly Cooper came back into this book and her goblin name was Monster. So by saying I'm not a monster could be talking about Carly Cooper's recovery. The character says, uh, Kindred says, I know Pete better than he knows himself. This is from like the first issue, which got me kind of like percolating. And when he's first introduced, he's introduced as, quote, the thing that catches us all. And then he has a conversation with Mysterio about like being on time or I couldn't delay this any longer. And I was thinking like, you know, time is the thing that catches us all. Um, Death is the thing that catches us all. Like, is there a time associated element to this character? So those are kind of like all of the clues that we've had up to this point. I don't know if they add up to much, but let's talk into some of our theories. Mark, uh, why don't you go down your like theory that you've heard banded about a bunch that your kind of image in this book kind of lends some credence to? Yeah, I mean, you know, and, and it's funny. I wasn't necessarily on board with this until that image I you know, referred to earlier, kind of caught my eye upon rereading the the, the comic today, which is this idea that uh, we know that in Amazing Spider-Man, well, 698, Doc Ock manages to swap minds and bodies with Peter, and eventually that Peter's mind dies in Doc Ock's body in Amazing Spider-Man number 700. And I know that the... Peter's consciousness is able, able to resurface within Otto and Superior that led to his resurrection. And also, it was in Dead No More that the, the corpse was was dug up to 
basically use it to to create superior today, right? That was kind of yeah. what the upshot. So, I mean, I feel like there's some element of that loop being closed, but like, could this be like the soul of Peter as Doc Ock? Hence, like, and that would also make it kindred in terms of like the, 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 you know, like I know him better than he knows himself. Obviously it's the same person in essence, in terms of, I know what you did. I mean, obviously he knows everything, you know, if he's Peter's consciousness, but like warped and tormented, I mean, you know, I know what you did can refer to so many things. I can refer to uncle Ben. I can refer to Gwen Stacy. It can refer to him failing to, to subdue Doc Ock. It'd be him. The fact that he revealed his identity during Spider Island or, or not revealed his identity, he would appeared on camera with unmasked as Peter Parker, uh, which kind of set this whole thing into motion. Um, you know, like, so like, I, I feel like there's a lot of commonality there. He's kind of jokey like Peter in some ways. I mean, like a very twisted version of Peter, you know, I don't, but the thing is it's still Doc Ock's body. So I don't quite get, I, I don't see Doc Ock having the physicality of Peter. So like having him kind of leap dynamically like a spider doesn't necessarily add up. So that's where I feel like this theory starts to lose some steam. Like I, you know, like, and also you would think that, I mean, Doc Ock was literally rot was rotting while he was living. So like he would need the bandages, you know what I mean? Like, like sure. Like, so, I mean, again, this, this this theory doesn't hold up all the way through, but I think there's enough there to give it ample credence. So that's that's one theory. Now, what about, do you want to go into your bonkers theory that you came up with recently? Well, let's get into the one that I've kind of already said previously on the show, which is like my long-held theory, which is that it is something to do with the deal with Mephisto and the spider marriage and like the, you know, the soul of that twisted spider marriage, like becoming taking form and you know i recently reread uh one more day which like you know as a spider-man fan is you know some people consider painful i actually think it's a fine read until like the final decision you know like it's a pretty well crafted story until that big moment which i'm sure will not make me some fans hey at least you didn't write an article the half-hearted defense of one more day like i did on our site (laughs) hey look you and i like brand new day more than most people so uh you know maybe it wasn't quite as painful for us i i don't know but But, read the um, quote read the quote yeah there's a pat point in sensational spider-man number 41 where mephisto is like lying like basically laying out the deal for Peter and MJ. And this is what he says, like exactly from the comic. You will not consciously remember this bargain or this moment or the life you lived to this point, but there will be a very small part of your soul that will remember that will know what you lost. And my joy will be in listening to that part of your soul screaming throughout eternity. And to me, that's my best guess of what this is. This is a part of Peter's soul that went to hell and has been tortured by Mephisto endlessly and eventually like Mephisto allowed to rise up as like a like demon of his and it it's it's this angry representation of the spider marriage and the memory of that marriage that's coming back to haunt MJ and Peter and the reason I feel strongest about this is it checks most of the boxes and I think thematically with what Nick Spencer is doing with the MJ stuff, 
having it be this as a way to kind of tie all that together and to also like tie up a loose end in regards to people's feelings about the marriage, which he already kind of has to do with the MJ thing. So that's why I still feel like this is the strongest. The only thing that I think really cuts against this theory and maybe also your theory that you've just bandied about is the idea that like Mysterio went to hell and was tortured by this guy because Mysterio died far before either of these instances happened. Yeah, but I can no price that, Dan. I mean, like the like like the timeline kind of doesn't necessarily move in real time at this point. You know what I mean? So like like who's who's actually to say that this that these events didn't happen within days or weeks of each other? You know what I mean? Like it's it. I wouldn't hold the timeline against it per se. Yeah, or you know, Mysterio went to hell and he didn't encounter this guy until later on. I mean, yeah, there's there's many ways you could get out of it. So the last one and the really bonkers theory that I sent to you over the weekend, I'll, I'll get to the name of it, but I'll tell you how I arrived at this was that like I thought to myself, okay, let me make a list of all the people that have like died and, you know, like and are dead that this could be. But then I realized like maybe that was the error and why we weren't seeing this is that I was only looking at the people who were still dead. Like let's look at all the people who have died in the history of Spider-Man. And that's where I came upon this new crazy theory, Harry Osborn. Okay. There are reasons I don't love this theory, but I just want to like play this out. Okay. Who knows Pete better than he knows himself and refers to him as Pete. Oh, absolutely. Harry, Harry Osborn, who has been like twisted in this kind of Joker sort of way. Harry Osborn. He looks like the goblin, Kindred plays into it and he died before Mysterio died. So that would work. You know, all of these things. I know what it's like to have a secret. I know what you did. Like, I'm not a monster. All of these things work for Harry Osborn. The, the problem with it is Harry Osborn is alive still, but maybe he's not like you could retcon the Europe thing, which I think has always been like fishy, right? Like, have you, did you like always love the Harry went to Europe for a number of years thing? Oh, yeah. No, I always kind of thought there was something BSC about that. And Harry Osborn hasn't been in this series. Like, a major character of Spider Man has not been in Nick Spencer's run at all. But if this is like Harry or an alternate Harry, I like. I felt like we had a really good kind of like arc for Harry at the end of Dan Slott's run. I don't know that I'm super keen on revisiting doing a ton of stuff with Harry in that regard. It makes sense and like, you know, fits in there in turn like better than any person that like one person that I can think of in that role. And Dan, not for nothing, if you look at the very last visual of this book, it's, you know, it's Kindred saying his name with this very twisted, narrow, Sal Buscema-esque smile, toothy smile. I mean, that's a goblin smile. Am I right? Yeah. And I think that like all throughout, like, I mean, clearly Hunted is a great example of this. I think Nick Spencer is a big fan of the JMD stuff. Like it, it's all throughout these books, whether it's the use of like White Rabbit or whatever, like which was created by JMD, you know, like there seems to be a love for that like era. Why not? you know, dip your, you know, feet back into the, do you dip your feet in a well 
Whatever sure. you dip into a well, you're mixing your metaphors, bucket, but I love I it. I am. <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, why not go back to that to that time period? Yeah, I don't know. I just wanted to throw it out there, an insane thing. I still believe my first theory that I had all the way back with the first issue of Nick Spencer's run is the most like that's the one I'm sticking with. But like the hairy thing I'm I'm keep playing over and over again in my mind. I would this is how I would like rank or assort them, Dan. I would say that your initial theory about it being like the soul of the marriage or whatever you want to call it is and this is such a ridiculous thing to be saying when you're talking about the soul of a marriage, is probably the most plausible. <laughs> <laughs> I would say the DACA corpse theory is plausible, but I find the most disappointing. Because I kind of want to just be done with Superior. You know what I mean? Like, we're so past that now at this point. You know what I mean? Like, that that loop should be closed. I also think there's a lot of, like, Peter fighting Peter. Like, there's a lot of villains that are, like, Peter once removed. You know what I mean? But I would say Harry would be, is a swerve for sure, but it's a logical swerve, which why is why I think there's some credence to it. Like this is this is more plausible of a swerve than little Normie being the Goblin King. Yes. Right? You know. <laughs> Remember that theory? Yeah, and we held on pretty hard <laughs> for that one, man. <laughs> but I do think like, you know, there there is absolute potential that in 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 the timeline or, you know, something happened with Harry where the, 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 the switch flipped and he went back to being crazy again. You know what I mean? And and now this is him acting it out. And it's a concrete name that you could guess, right? Like if Nick Spencer's telling us literally in the pages of the comic, guess my name, guess my name, what's the name on the spider marriage soul or Peter's body? And, you know, like, unless like the name is literally like, my name is also Peter and he's a manifestation of Peter's fears, you know, in some way, like he is the manifestation of all the like things that Peter worries about MJ. It's this artificial construct come to life. Because, I mean, literally the cover of this book says fear has a new name. You know, maybe that's also the big clue is Kindred is just Peter, you know, and, and it's and it's Peter's fear manifest in, in some way. I don't know via what method, but. You know, that does seem to be thematically what Nick Spencer is playing with, too. So now I'm even inventing new things for myself to believe. But, like, there needs to be a concrete name to guess, right? If it's Peter or if it's Harry or whatever. Because otherwise, what's the point of this endeavor? What's the point of anything, Dan? (laughs) I think Nick Spencer has something very clear in mind. Absolutely. And I think these are all fun theories. Yeah, I I agree. And I'm having fun guessing them. And I'm guessing that next issue we're going to get some more concrete stuff with Kindred, do you think we're going to get like the reveal in the next issue? No, I think we're going to get baited a little longer, but I do hope that we get something a little more concrete to, to, to latch onto. I think that would, that would be an improvement certainly on like what hunted was. So, you know, fingers crossed. I'll be curious to see if Kindred can actually interact in a tangible way in the real world, because he's yet to do that. Like if he, is he just a construct in people's minds or like I said, like Beetlejuice where you say his name and he appears I'm curious to see if that plays out. Like maybe Peter figures it out in the next issue because he's still big on the cover of the next issue and it's a big, thick anniversary issue. So, you know, that would be the next development that I would want to see. Excellent, Dan. Well, do you want to get to some grades here? Yeah, sure. I think this one is, I'm going to give this one a B plus. I think there's so much to chew on here. There's not a lot of action going on, but like I, the Mysterio vision thing is so rich with like, 
speculative stuff. I, I had a lot of fun reading this issue. I'm not going to lie. All right. I, you know, I, I think I liked it better on a second read through. So I'm a notch below you. I'm going to give it a B. Perfect. All right, great. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed it. And chew on the Harry Osborne thing at home. Tell us which of our theories you like and, and, and help us further this quest to, to guess it ahead of time, where we'll be inevitably disappointed. <laughs> always, always inevitably. <laughs> <laughs> maybe not. Maybe not. All right. Uh, have a great one, everybody. Yeah, thanks for joining us. This episode wouldn't be possible without the support from our wonderful Patreon subscribers, whose patronage allows us to assemble the guests we have on the show and do all of our research. If you enjoy the show and want to help us continue while also getting amazing bonus content and additional episodes that we never release publicly, go to our show notes and check out our Patreon page and consider joining our team. Dan, thanks to our patrons on Patreon, because without them, we would have never got that awesome review. But fear not, listeners at home. We are going to quickly transition to our mega-sized review of Amazing Spider-Man number 25. Well, we're here today to discuss Amazing Spider-Man number 25 or Legacy 826. It's an anniversary issue, Mark. And you know what that means? It's going to cost us $7.99 for a book like this. Oh boy, Dan. I, I, I almost didn't have the budget for this. Maybe I didn't, but I am a completist. So hello, $8 comic. I feel like criticizing it, but then I remember, like, I think the one in, like, volume four of the 25 was, like, $10. So, like, I don't know if they'll be, like, happy that this is cheaper or, like, but really, I think this book is, like, a five ninety nine comic. I After Hunted and all this stuff, I feel like they're going to lose a lot of people on, on the expense of this book. I mean, you got to be delivering to ask for seven ninety nine, Right, and for the most part, this was kind of just, like, in the stream of a standard Spider-Man story, I mean, there was extra pages and stuff, but like, I don't know. I, I, I didn't feel that there was anything in this here that was extra special and unique and something that you wouldn't find in a standard comic book, right? No, and I don't think there's any major revelation to kind of really goose the numbers on this thing. You know, there's not like a big new villain or a reveal of a character. And I think a lot of us were hoping for that, right? You know, we've got this buildup with Kindred and I, I think we all kind of thought maybe just from the solicits a few months ago, that this would be the point where Peter and Kindred would meet and maybe an identity would be revealed or something. But, you know, we kind of barely get even that. Yeah. I mean, this, this is, this is no amazing Spider-Man 700 or 800 in terms of big things happening. I mean, this is, this was a kind of, a setup issue for a lot of, I mean, there were a couple of different stories that got seeded here, but like, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I mean, I'm with you in terms of, I don't want to dwell too much on the price of comics and what we should be getting for our money at this point, because I mean, we could probably spend three hours of an episode talking about that, but I mean, in general, if as a quote unquote special issue, an anniversary issue, I mean, this was, this was just kind of a lot of setup for a lot of different stories and not much um, sizzle to that stake, I would say. Yeah, I feel like this issue was kind of like his way of wrapping up what he wanted to do in year one and laying the seeds for year two on on his run. And I don't have a problem with that necessarily. You know, I think about like the first issue that Spencer did 
And I thought that that issue really uh, did a lot of the similar things as this issue did, which is like kind of being declarative about like what it wanted to do over the year, whether or not we feel like this issue fulfilled the promise or the issues we've read fulfilled the promise of issue one. I think there's a lot of promise like seated in this issue, but I just don't think it's quite as exciting as that issue was. But I think one of the better issues of the Spencer run in terms of characterization and kind of moving things forward. And I, we kind of broken it down a little bit into the various, you know, stories as Spencer is want to do, you know, he's kind of weaving between a bunch of different things. So let's talk about them uh, one at a time. And I think we can kind of judge their effectiveness as we go. So first up, we get this kind of follow up on the previous issue with, you know, Mysterio as Ludwig Reinhardt, which we talked about last issue that we suspected that might be what's going on. I don't think I guessed quite that Mysterio was dressed up as Ludwig and had conned his former psychiatrist to be Mysterio. But I think we both knew that that was not the death of Mysterio. No, I mean, and I, I, I do appreciate that they further teased that Mysterio is potentially dead here before pulling uh, the curtain back and, and, and revealing everything. But still, I mean, like it, this, this was a great nod to Spider-Man history. I mean, that that issue of Amazing Spider-Man number 24, that Dicko Lee issue, it's a favorite of mine. I mean, granted, a lot of the early Mysterio stories are favorites of mine, so I'm, I'm kind of biased here. But all the same, I mean, like, we're, I, I still kind of feel like we're kind of circling the wagons with Mysterio here and not really getting closer to how Spencer wants to use him differently or more compellingly, if you will, it still kind of feels like, hey, we got a movie out with Mysterio in it, so let's tie in Mysterio, and he's kind of doing silly stuff, but, you know, Kindred is Kindred is driving the action here, and Mysterio is kind of there for the ride, and that's a little disappointing. I don't know. Am I, am I being too sensitive here? I don't know. I, I like it. I feel like, you know, if Kindred's, you know, threatening a big wig like Mysterio, it gives him a little bit of clout, and I never felt like Mysterio was diminished. I mean, he was even trying to pull tricks on this like demon, you know, like, so he still kind of got it. I like the playful tone of it where he just, the Ludwig Reinhardt isn't even like a costume. It's just a visual effect overlaid on the fishbowl. I loved how Otley rendered that. Like his fishbowl head is bigger than Ludwig's head. And yet still there's some visual effect going on there. It's, it's absurd. And I thought it was kind of funny. I like the idea that Mysterio isn't exactly cowering like he was before. Like he, he is scared of this kindred guy, but he is putting up like a kind of bit of stubbornness. And I, I think that's fitting for a character, you know, cause everybody that introduces a new villain, they're always trying to make their new villain, the best new villain, you know, he's the big wig. So he's got to tear down everybody else. But I feel like Mysterio is still given some credit here. And I think, you know, if we want to skip to the very end of the book, well, not the very end, but like, ne- I think near the end of this story, with Mysterio, with the script, and MJ. I think that's a potentially interesting place to be going, actually getting Mysterio into Hollywood in some way. I'm curious enough, I mean, at the very least, we're getting Mysterio stories, a character that's been pretty much overlooked for like almost a decade in terms of truly interesting stories. Yeah, no, I I, I hear what you're saying, and, and I don't totally disagree, but I mean, like, I, I would love to see a little bit more out of this character than just kind of nods to the past. I mean, what's... What's new about this Mysterio that makes me want to be into to the character? I mean, because frankly, 
you know, it's tying in obviously to F- Spider-Man Far From Home, the movie. And, you know, seeing movie Mysterio was kind of new and exciting for me, you know, that, you know, to see how they would visually do that. And, and there's nothing at this point, I, I appreciate what they're doing with the character, but like, there's nothing new with this character that's making me be like, all right, this Mysterio is, he's better than ever. He doesn't just have a new hat, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. I think the wrinkle that's missing for me is the kind of the fun baloney of how Mysterio pulls off his tricks. You, you know, like right now he's kind of operating like this guy who can you know convincingly do magic like there's no kind of the gears or the robots or the lmds i'm thinking back to like amazing spider-man 618 to 620 that great story where mysterio was kind of reinvented by dan slot it's not quite as fun as that i have to say i have a very soft spot for ryan otley's depiction of mysterio and that might be coloring me a a, a little bit no no problem so so why don't we talk a little bit about the actual, I shouldn't say the actual villain here. I mean, they're all villains, but so we get a little bit more of Kindred, Dan. It was, was, was this the reveal that you were expecting for an anniversary issue of Spider-Man for, for Kindred, for Shush? I, I still want to call him Shush, Dan. I, I'm not giving up on that ghost. I'm really not either. Shush was, a, I, I felt like a winning contribution, but okay, Kindred slash Shush. No, Mark, this was not the reveal that I was hoping for. And I have to admit, like, I'm willing to wait a little bit longer. What what I'm get growing tired of with the character is his lack of introduction to Peter Parker. Like, I just kind of want him to engage in a more direct way. And like I said, I speculated last time, maybe he can't. But I think this issue suggests very much that he can. He's just choosing not to. I don't know. There's just so many clues now, Mark. In this issue, we get a bunch of stuff, and we'll go over them in a second, but I'm kind of done guessing because it could kind of be everybody, and there's so many clues that are contradictory. I feel like Spencer is very – maybe he has given a direct clue and I've missed it, but like we're so hemming and hawing over all the words that he's saying now. It could literally be anybody, and it wouldn't surprise me, and so like if it's a person, I feel like I'm going to be let down. Like If it's some weird concept – that's the only way I feel like it could be fulfilling at this point is like, what a cool concept. If it's just like, it's Carly Cooper, I'm going to be like, oh, okay, I guess so. Right. I mean, or even like going back to our, our last discussion, Dan, even if it's like Harry Osborne, which I thought was a cool idea, but like in retrospect, eh, it's Harry Osborne again. Like, who cares? You know what I mean? Like, if this is something truly so dire and and such a unique threat to Peter that it needs to be a unique reveal, right? Like, it's got to be something, and, and, and I don't mean something so far out there that, like, A, nobody can guess it, but B, also, like, it makes no sense. But, like, yeah, like, something a little more abstract, I think, is befitting of what they've been doing with this character. And, if, and yeah, if it's just pull off the mask and it's, you know, some random, some random character from the past... Not who cares, but all right, you know, we could have done this simpler, maybe. I don't know. Like, this, did this need a year and change to build up to? I think a lot about the Mason Banks reveal. The problem with the Mason Banks reveal isn't that, oh, a guy from the background ended up being Norman Osborn changing his face. If that's just what it was, I think it would have been fine. But it's the build up to the mystery that, like, really tanked that reveal. It, it was building up for so long. Who is this guy? You know, you better have the goods, you know? So every issue that we spend building up 
kindred more and more and making us wait is suggesting you've got something really good here. It's built up so much now that I feel like it's like almost like beyond me guessing, you know, because it's got to be so crazy. And maybe I guessed it straight out. I mean, I, I don't know. I'm still sticking with my original theory, you know, and, and I think that would still be really satisfying because it is weird despite me presupposing that that was, that was it. Again, I'm not saying I guessed it, but like if it were until I get like a clue where I feel much more solid, I don't really feel like guessing all that much. And yet we're probably still going to keep doing this because I think that's what we said about the green goblin. And then we just kept doing it until we were ultimately disappointed. Yeah. I mean, Dan, not to jump down a rabbit hole here, but I, I, I do think it's worth saying in light of all this, because you just brought up Mason Banks and, and all that. I mean, have we actually had in Spider-Man history a satisfying reveal for one of these mysteries? <laughs> well, what about Facade? <laughs> okay. <laughs> the, the only thing uh, exciting about that reveal is that it never happened. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, but like, even the original Green Goblin. I mean, like, uh, you know, not to, not to tr- totally like get down this weird hole here, but put yourself in like 1965. I mean, would you have been as a comic book fan if we were podcasting? Would we have been like, oh man, yeah, it's the father of like the guy that he goes to school with? You know what I mean? And we met three issues earlier, you know? <laughs> like, no, no, we we really haven't. Retrospectively, like the Hobgoblin one is kind of cool, but even that's mired with all the complications of that and all the baloney with the twin brother that's not a twin brother. And I think like maybe the Venom thing is, that's not a reveal, but there's something satisfying about the way that that worked out. It, it had such a long build up to the creation of a character, whether it was intentional or not. And, and it wasn't a reveal, but I think that's what people like about Venom is that it was so seeded for such a long time without you knowing it was going to go there. And I feel like that's the feeling you want to get from the reveal of these characters. But you're right. None of them have been even remotely as satisfying as Venom. And that wasn't even a reveal. And, and, and I guess that's just my way of saying, like, it's it's a trope that we come back to over and over again, especially with Spider-Man. I feel like every creator, every writer specifically wants to create, like, their big mystery. I mean, we get this with every single run. And yet, time and time again, it never really truly lives up to our expectations. And I'm not saying that thus we should not have expectations or play the game, but, like, I think we kind of just have to brace ourselves to be disappointed in some way. I, I, I still think your initial pitch that you've discussed that we've discussed here this kind of like amalgamation of like the soul of the marriage or i i I mean you describe it better than i do but i we're talking about the same thing here i do think that there's there's something to that even if we've guessed it early that's kind of cool and satisfying and kind of makes sense and and kind of ties everything together that we've been getting over the past year and thus i would be good with that but if we don't get that, like you said, if it's just some, you know, some character from from Peter's past that pulls a mask off or someone completely out of nowhere that we've never met before, it's going to be more of the same. It's going to be another, you know, like, oh, it's it, it's facade. <laughs> <laughs> and that's and that's just the thing. A year ago, it's been a year that we've been guessing who this person is, you know, and they and the characters have never fully interacted yet. Just put it in perspective, Mark, you and I have been doing this show for six years. A sixth of the time that we've been doing this show, we have been guessing who this person is. 
and we, they've never interacted. I don't know. It's like, let's hope that Spencer's got the goods. I'm sticking with my original assumption. That being said, there are a few clues here that I want to put out there that may or may not be clues. I'm not going to speculate on them much, but let's put them into the mix. Mark, do you want to start with the first clue? During this conversation between Kindred, Shush, and Mysterio, he says, you see, your dreams and mine intersect. There's something that you want, and there's something that somebody else wants that I'm going to deny them. So what's what's your takeaway from that? I think what he's implying based on the end of the book is that these dreams intersecting, meaning like if you do something, it's beneficial for both of us. So this is the script. So he hands him the script to Mysterio. So it's Mysterio wants to work in Hollywood and Kindred wants MJ away from Peter, which I guess like fits with the MO that we've been getting. He doesn't want to harm anyone. He just wants Peter separated from all these people. And it seems to be that Peter's link to MJ is what brought Kindred out in the first place, which goes back again to my theory. So, you know, I'm sticking with it. There's something to do with MJ and Peter's relationship that has spawned this demon. Right. Although, not to dwell too much, but I mean, it also is worth noting that in the very first ep- first issue after... Peter and MJ are broken up, if you will. The marriage is annulled. It's the return of what character, uh, Dan? I don't even know. I'm totally blanking right now. Harry Osborne. Oh, you're right. Oh, pff, brand new day issue one. Yeah. Yeah. There you I go. mean, like yeah. it was like it was that 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 the annulment of that marriage via Mephisto brought Harry back in its own roundabout way. So I mean, you know, maybe that's the uh, okay, whatever. I, I don't want to get too into this, but because we I, said we weren't, but you know, like you you just said that, and now I'm like, well, that's actually a really good point. See, and now we're drawing right back into it again, Mark, and <laughs> and you know, like it's raining cats and dogs. Okay, so what's the what's the next clue? So Kindred has scars on his wrists, which With is like rats crawling out of them. Yeah, so I mean, scars on the wrists. I mean, that's like that's that's that suggests suicide, doesn't it? It does. It does. I I don't know that anybody has slit their wrists in the pages of a Spider-Man comic that I can think of. No, I mean Ned Leeds slit had his throat slit, but <laughs> and I don't think we're doing Ned Leeds again, right? Like he went out of our way to kill him off, you know. We like killing Ned off so quickly, though. I mean, it's so much fun. <laughs> then we get this like Kindred speaks definitely in code, and I get the sense that Nick Spencer is hemming and hawing over every word. It's like so, like when he's talking to Mysterio, he mentions the words "guardian devil," you know, which is the famous story where. You know, Mysterio went after Daredevil and ends with his suicide. So, like, you know, he's working comics into everything here. So there's a moment where Kindred says, Sin's still remembered. You could read that as a reference to Sin's past. You could read it as a reference to the Sin's Remembered book, which saw the death of um, one of the Stacy twins. What was her name again? Gwendolyn? Is that not Gwendolyn Stacy? That's Gwen's name. So it's Gabriel and uh, Sarah, right? Sarah Stacy. That's it, Sarah Stacy. So that book is called Sins Remembered. It's got that great cover. It's the annual, right? The sensational annual. Uh, yeah, but it wasn't also a storyline in Spectacular Volume Two, I think. Yeah, it was one of those. It's like the one of the last issues published in that run. It's got that great, beautiful cover with that, like Gwen's face. I mean, Sarah's face. All I could say, Dan, is nothing will put butts in the seats more than bringing up sins past slash sins remembered. I mean, you know, talk about 
storylines from Spider-Man history that everyone wants to relive. Yeah. Well, hey, look, and then we can tie that to Harry Osborn, right? Because Gabriel Stacy was the American son, right? And 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 there you go. That I don't want to get into it. It's it's too dumb. And if they pull a sins past on this, it's like, all right, Nick Spencer, you're not you're not going to gaslight us on this for a sins past call out. No, don't do that. The last note that you brought up here is, and, and this just makes me kind of shudder, is we have a, a scene in this storyline where, where Carly Cooper has returned and she refers to Peter as, quote unquote, Pete. And it's in, it's in bold. Mary Jane makes a point to say Pete and Carly repeats back to her Pete. So there is a group of people out there that do think Kindred is Carly even though Carly never died. You know, and I brought up before that Kindred said, I'm not a monster, and monster was Carly's goblin name. So, I mean, and there's something to do with, like, relationships, and, you know, Carly has every reason to be spurned about Peter's relationship, and she's yet to interact with Peter after coming back. There you go. It could be Carly Cooper. Uh <laughs> and I don't mind Carly Cooper as a character, but that would just that would just deflate the hell out of me, Dan. I I don't know. I just don't want to read a spurned girlfriend, you know, story. That's not really what I want. It, it just it just can go nowhere good, in my opinion, at this point. So then Kindred kind of retreats to this graveyard lair at the end of the book, which I guess means that Kindred is like a like physical being that exists, right? Like why have a lair if you were just kind of this demon who could spawn in and out of everywhere? And there's like TVs all over the wall, I guess is what we're meant to re- read that as. And, you know, he says, you know, I, we're not going to be, I'm not going to meet Spider-Man face to face right away, but it's coming soon, but it's going to be in a grand fashion. And what's the best way to meet someone? It's through their friends. And I got to tell you, Mark, nothing could deflate my interest in this story more, which I'm quite excited about still, than seeing all of the spider people get brought into it. Yeah. I mean, it was kind of a grown moment for me as well. I mean, you know, I feel like we kind of just keep cycling through this idea of every time there's a big Spider-Man event that we have to have Miles and Gwen and Miguel and Spider-Ham. And, and you know what? Like I, I, I get that obviously Dan Slott kind of set the precedent with Spider-Verse. And then now of course the Spider-Verse into the Spider-Verse movie is such a sensation. I mean, you know, what is it going to take just to get a true mano a mano Peter Parker versus the villain story? Because I feel like we really, I mean, I guess we got that in Hunted, but we weren't totally satisfied with it. Yeah, just overall, that that was not moving the needle for me. It would have been nice to kind of just leave the friends out of it. And also the friends from other universes or multiverses, you know? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, Gwen is like technically attending ESU right now, I believe, which like I just don't love that idea, but fine. I just feel like that really cheapens the Gwen story and doesn't let her be her own person. Yeah, I don't know, Mark. If there was ever a story to have it be mano a mano, this one felt like it. And so far, this Amazing Spider-Man has so been so clean of that stuff. And look, I love Miles as much as the next guy. Like, Into the Spider-Verse is my favorite superhero movie. I just, I like my books to really just kind of be doing their own thing. And I don't think this is like a plan outside of uh, Nick Spencer's, like, rules, you know? Like, I don't feel like this was shoved on him. 
It just suggests it's another big event, and events just have not had a good track record in Spider-Man books, and I just kind of was hoping for something else. All right, so let's get to the actual story with Spider-Man in it. We've got this kind of ambiguous story of Spider-Man fighting these robots for a while underground, it seems like, like drones and giant mecha and things like that. Uh, It's ultimately revealed that he's like fighting his way to Kurt Connors. Where did you think this story was starting when you were reading it? Like, what did you think we were going to be touching in on Connors? I honestly thought we were headed towards Arcade. Actually, I mean, not for nothing. I mean, since we got like all the, you know, from the far from home, we were getting all these like drones and stuff like that in the movie. I thought it was just going to be another tie into the movie. So that's kind of where my brain was initially. Oh, yeah. I guess I went to Arcade because he says like there's another like loose thread from the hunted thing to like clean up. You know, so I was like, well, Arcade never really got his due, although I think he was arrested by the police at the end of that story or like a superhero or something like that. But we get this Connor story. What did you think of of this uh, this part of the book? It's disappointing to me that we got painted into a corner with Hunted with this whole kind of twist with Connors and having to take the inhibitor chip out because now we kind of like back to square one with this character and, and you know, what are we going to do with him and controlling his urges and, and is never truly going to evolve in any kind of meaningful way. And, and this, this here, this whole storyline to me doesn't, doesn't really evolve the character at all. It's like, Oh no, 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 seriously. He's going to, he's got new ways to, to fight it now. And it's like, uh, but does he, I don't think so. <laughs> I, I'd agree with you. Like it is kind of a return to the status quo from like issue one, right? He's just back to teaching again. And and that's a little disappointing, but I do like the, the idea suggested from by Spider-Man to Kurt that like atonement, doesn't take, isn't an overnight affair. Like it's something you live your rest of your life making up for. And to me, at least that assertion puts him much cleaner on the side of good and Spider-Man and returns him back to his status quo with having addressed like what he did and, and gives him a pretty strong motivation to move forward in, in that he is trying to make atonement for what he did to his son, Billy, I like that sentiment. I mean, it's not a radical change for the character, but it's like, oh, like I feel a lot more comfortable about putting Connors back in place to where he's been as a longstanding Spider character. And I like that Spider-Man used Craven's own ideology against Connors' ideology, that like his death would lead to good. You know, like he said, like, no, like that was Craven thought. And that wasn't a good way of thinking. So... I agree with you, but I also think that there's a little bit of a wrinkle that makes it, like, slightly interesting. Okay, that's fair. Now, let, let's get to the part of the issue, to me, where this this book really takes off, which is this MJ storyline. I mean, are you are we in agreement in thinking this was probably the best part of the book? Yeah, I think it's a little, like, overwritten and a little too, like, like silly in terms of its jokes, and, and it goes on for quite a long time. But, like, there's legit character stuff going on here, and the story is kind of thrilling in its own, like, very small way. And it passes the Bechdel test for what it's worth, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. It's, like, the first time in, like, a decade. 
Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, we we just have female characters doing female stuff, and no one is talking about the men in their lives. And I, I appreciated that. And I'm not trying to sound like a social justice warrior here, Dan, but like, I I, I legitimately as 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 rough as the relationship between Peter and MJ has been written so far, this is like some of the best MJ stuff we've gotten in an eternity for this character. Yeah, I totally agree. She's given complete autonomy. And, you know, as much as I complain about, like, this expensive issue not having any big bombshell stuff, I also appreciate the audacity of saying, you know what, this is my anniversary issue. It's a big 25 issue with a lot of extra pages, and I'm going to spend it on an MJ story. Like, that takes some balls. Absolutely, but, like, nothing in here felt to me at least, like forced or like unrealistic. I mean, like, you know, all the characters, I mean, it's MJ, it's Carly Cooper. It's uh, what's, what's the name of the friend here? It's um, Melanie Daniels, Melanie Daniels. These are three women. I feel like they're using their resources adequately to kind of like, you know, take on this threat in the theater. Now, what are they seeing, Dan? What's, what's the, what's the show? (laughs) I I, want to see the show Galactus, the musical. I mean, finally. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite thing is all the Kirby dots on the sign. <laughs> Galactus. I mean, I, I, I only, I can only imagine what that costume would look like on the stage, since Kirby himself could never draw it the same way twice. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I love all the references back to like MJ's history. I think Spencer's been really good about presenting the character fully, and in this case, we get like a reference to Secret Hospital. The, you know, the show that MJ used to act on. When did you ever think we'd be hearing about Secret Hospital again? No, but good callback. And, and, and again, it made sense here. You mentioned <laughs> the Bechdel test, you know, and, and the number of women. We have a female villain here, too, you know, like just just to round it all out. I have to admit, and this is not like an issue with this issue. If you had told me when Max Dillon died that that was his death. And I think we even joked about it at the time. Like this couldn't possibly be the death of Max Dillon. He was like killed just kind of like in the background. I think Francine Fry as Electro is kind of fun. And I like that we have a female supervillain of like a, like a major rogue. I don't know if she has qualified as a major rogue at this point, but like Electro wasn't a major rogue of Spider-Man's. It's nice that there's some gender diversity going on there, but this character to me is like paper thin, You, you know, like I really hope that like, at some point, we get some fleshing out of like who this person is, because even her origin was paper thin. It kind of felt like at the time that we were checking some boxes and getting this villain in there, uh, as as smart of an idea as it is, and and that's nothing against Francine the character, but like you're right. I mean, there there wasn't much to this, and it kind of felt so tacked on that you, you didn't truly buy into the fact that Max Dillon was gone. But I mean, that seems to be the case now. So yeah, like can we can we please can we please get some some character development for Maxine because we're we're not getting it right now. Yeah, I mean at least Francine is is treated here as kind of like a like loosely. She's not treated as like a major threat, right? Maybe one day she'll earn her way up to that level, but like Spencer at least has a good grasp on like I feel like what kind of like level of rogue she is. You know, she's someone who kind of fell backwards into this kind of great power that she has. Um but she's not even wielding it in in the same like she's more like the shocker than anything else in, in this comic. Uh, this kind of bumbling villain with you know blast powers. 
but I loved like all the misdirection that's going on here. Did you catch the switch when it happened? I didn't. I was legitimately surprised by it, but I'm assuming you you found some some clues that indicated that it was a switch. They they pretty much shouted at you, but even I didn't pick up on it at the time, which made it a nice reread. You know, when MJ is giving the speech after she switched bodies with Melanie, it slowly moves in on her eye and Melanie's eyes are blue and MJ's eyes are green. So like the imagery goes closer and closer and closer in on her eye to clue you that it's MJ speaking, that she's the one in the costume, right? Because the only difference is the eye. And that's kind of like the fun thing about comics too, is like you never could do that in a movie, but comics can be drawn to make characters look alike. And that's, I think, really clever. I really like the speech that MJ gives here because it's actually like when you're first reading it, you know, you think it's Melanie just kind of playing up the moment. But when when I reread it, it really felt like MJ bearing her soul, right? Like that she's missed doing this for so long. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm all about seeing MJ kind of get back into this because I think there could be some good storylines that come out of that. But, but overall, I thought the scene was well executed. I thought the, the, the surprise, it worked for me. I mean, I, I love the, the, the clues that you, that you figured out. I mean, like it just shows the attention to detail here. I mean, again, this is where Spencer and Otley seem to be clicking, you know, when, when, when it comes to stuff like this, I, I appreciate that attention to detail. Yeah, it's very clever. And um, I agree with you. It's nice to see MJ maybe pursuing acting again. It's interesting that she adds the wrinkle that she doesn't want to be famous because she links the fame to like the dangerousness of acting but that she likes acting because it helps her discover who she is. And that's really interesting to me. I don't know how she's going to pursue acting without becoming famous because it seems like she's already headed down that path. And the book even comments on that. Like, weren't you just talking about not being famous? And there she is on the news again. So I'm hoping that that's like a you know, wrinkle we pursue as a way to kind of go back to making her an actress without making it feel regressive. To the character, like it's like at least she's pursuing it in a different way. And speaking of go back in this storyline, we once again see Peter going back to ESU. <laughs> yeah, what did you think about this, Mark? Because I'm of like two minds about it. There's a part of me that that loves the idea of Peter finally making right on this, but like, I mean, the the key word that I just said there was finally. I mean, like we 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 keep going back there. I mean, are we are we going to do this all over again just to get it upended? I mean, like. Like if this is if this is it, then let's let it be it. Let 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 Peter finally get the freaking degree. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how comfortable I feel calling him Doctor Parker. No, I I, that, I mean that's fair too. But then I mean, but like, can we can we close this loop? I think is what it boils down to. Like one way or another, this loop needs to close. Like like we we can't keep doing this every every six months. Yeah, I mean I I'm mixed on it because like I'm happy to see that Spencer landed somewhere after being like. For so long. I don't know where I'm going to get it. It's like, just get a job, Peter. We've, we've been reading you for a year. You you don't have the funds to keep, you know, lazing around. So it's at least nice to see him have like a personal path that he's going on. And I'm sure being on campus will lead him to a bunch of interesting stories again. I don't know what he's doing for work. Is he going to be teaching? Like, maybe this is the right spot. He can teach here and there. And, you know, I always like those stories. Um, quite a bit, even though I was looking forward to something new. Like I thought that Spencer had some real card up his sleeve about like some interesting new job for Peter that would feel just as natural as anything else. And, you know, 
But I, I guess he ultimately, you know, I mean, it seems very much part of Spencer's playbook, which is like restore everything to where it was. Like his first year, I think, really was kind of dominated by healing. And there's even a panel in this book where like Peter says like, oh, a lot of the people in my life have been getting second chances. And I think that was kind of like Spencer's way of saying, you know, that really is my goal here was to give everybody a second chance and get them back to where they are. And I think we may not have loved the whole journey, but I'm hoping that in the long term, Spencer's done a really like healthy thing for Spider-Man and his world. But I do hope about this ESU thing, just to close my thought on this, is I hope we get into the finances of this. You know, how is Peter going to afford this? That's the one thing I want to see return. I, like we saw it in the first issue of Nick Spencer's run, but I want to see the economics of being Peter come back again. Like we're not getting it in the homecoming and far from home movies. At least give me poor broke Peter Parker in the comics. Absolutely. 100%. All right. Do you want to talk about some of these backups? Yeah, let's get through them. So the first one, I guess it's not really a backup. It's just a continuation of the story, but it feels like a whole separate thing. And it's the tease of this sinister syndicate. What did you think of this? All right, so it's an all-female villain team. It's White Rabbit, Beetle, Lady Octopus, Scorpia, and Trapster. Okay, let's do it. I mean, like White Rabbit. I feel like White Rabbit just shows up all over the place now in Spider-Man. I I don't know when that change happened, but like, I mean, good for JMD for having his character just like completely like dominate <laughs> dominate Spider-Man comics now. <laughs> it is humorous. She is probably the most overused, like D-list rogue. And it's funny because I feel like everybody's using her and saying like, what's a character that nobody's using that like I could just throw in the background. But now it's gotten to the point that she's just like saturated everywhere. Yeah. I mean, like she was all over Dan Slott's run and now she's all over this run. I mean, so I, I mean... Sure, let's go for it. I mean, I got no issues with this. I mean, like, I like supervillain teams, especially when they're kind of like lesser characters. I mean, you know, Superior Foes of Spider-Man is still one of my favorite books ever. Well, on that point, I'm really hopeful, like, the the solicit for the next one and the cover for the next one has the Superior Foes on the cover. So I'm hoping Steve Lieber comes back, for one, because that would be a missed opportunity. But, like... You know, I'll see an all-male Superior Foes team going up against an all-female Sinister Syndicate team. It's like the War of the Losers. I'm there for it. Like, that sounds like a fun story to me. And after the Boomerang story in the bar with no name, sign me up. Like, those are things that I know Spencer can handle really well. Absolutely. So then the other tease we got here was with the return of a character, which, damn, I'm going to admit this. To my chagrin, before we started recording, I was like, oh, God, what has what, what this character been away for for six months? And you pointed out accurately, no, two years. Who is that character? It's Spider-Man 2099, which, like, honestly, two years, both long and not, you know, like the fun of 29 re- returning in uh, the you know superior run was like it had been like a decade right i mean i mean he had shown up in in le- in lesser pro- low profile stories like exiles but like yeah i mean he had not been to my, in my opinion what i would define as part of the mainstream in in quite a while when he re- when he returned there and now i mean yeah it feels like he's just coming back from being part of his own series and doing Spider-Verse and doing all this other stuff, you know, like, like it just doesn't feel like that momentous to me at this point. Yeah. So, I mean, we get this lecture from what I imagine is Kurt Connors, at least being drawn very differently 
It's hard to really distinguish him, especially now that he has two arms, which I still want an answer for. Why does Kurt Connors have two arms? I, I don't know, and it bothers the hell out of me. He's giving this lecture about, like, science's role in destroying the future and not being forward-thinking, only being thinking about the innovations of today, which he, like, rightly includes himself in, and the damage that it's doing to the future. Do you have any idea what this could be about? No, I don't. I, I mean, it, it could be almost anything. It could be... What's it? Future imperfect Hulk or whatever? I mean, who the hell knows? I mean, I I I, I couldn't tell you. I mean, what, what do you have guess? Not really. I mean, it seems kind of very tonally dissonant with the kind of book that Spencer's been writing. So I almost wonder if it's like something that's not going to happen in his book, and he just wrote this thing for a new twenty ninety nine relaunch, just because it seems so grand. You know, it it seemed like this big like climate change analog story, you know, that seems to be the imagery that he's playing with. And it's talking about the whole history of the Marvel universe from like the Fantastic Four going into outer space. It's a level of grand we've not seen in any of his stories to this point. Yeah, I don't know. Is 2099 dead at the end? I I don't know, because that seems to be the implication that like the future is dying and he just falls out of the sky. Yeah, I don't know what this is. It it felt very dissonant to me and I'm I'm intrigued. I have no idea what it is. This next... Uh, back up. You want to make sense of this involving J. Jonah Jameson? <laughs> I mean, it's like an inventory story, I guess. Although a very specific inventory story because Jonah knows Pete's identity. You know, we got Todd Knock doing pencils, which I know some listeners of ours are big fans of his. I've never been a big fan, but I thought that this was a step forward for him in terms of his pencil work. I got to be honest. I have no idea what this story was about. I thought this Jonah interplay with Spider-Man was comical where he like breaks into his place and then lies about it. But then they fight this like villain who can change the colors of their costumes, I guess, like some chroma thing with gremlins who just disappears off panel. And then JJ claims it was a team up and Spidey has pushed back to that. And then he goes to Dr. Strange for help who asked Spidey that it not, not call it a team up. And then they do nothing. Like, are we going to return to this story? Like, is that villain still... What was this? Your guess is as good as mine, Dan. I I actually forgot this story happened until you just pointed it out here. And then I'm like, oh, that's right. This was part of that book, too. Uh, what is this? <laughs> I mean, it's it's almost... it's I would say it's more random than the thing we didn't talk about in our last review, the Carnage Pigeon page at the end of the other book. You know, that's the... It's a tease for absolute carnage without telling us where we might find the answer to it. Is anybody reading this stuff? I I don't know. This was very random to me. I'm with you on that. I wasn't I wasn't too thrown away, uh, blown away by it. And then this this last little uh, sidebar, which was admittedly, I when I when I saw the concept here, I was like, oh, this this is fun. And then like I saw the ultimate execution of it, and I was like, eh, this is okay. Which was a um, how would you define this? A a they well they defined it as oh we we inputted every Spider-Man story ever into a computer and then then this is what they did, which sounds great, but I also don't believe that's what they did. <laughs> I don't believe it for a second. You know, we, I've seen the movies that do that kind of thing. You know, and they're full of like cliches and weird sentence structure, but everything here was like it made some certain sense, and there are jokes in here that like a computer wouldn't spit out, like. There's the computer li- line that says like, oh, my greatest enema, octopus doctor. 
And why would a computer put the word enema in there? It's not like the word enema ever shows up in the pages of Spider-Man. It's a joke on a computer misspelling enemy. But a computer wouldn't do that. And I feel like this this story is filled with all of that. Like it's just kind of like playing these very two knowing jokes that, frankly, if this was truly like left to the whims of a computer, I, I well, hey, I just don't think it would have been. I, I shouldn't call it funny, but this I don't buy. Like you said, I don't buy this for a second. Well, there, <laughs> there's setups and punchlines, and I just don't think a computer that they force fed all these comics somehow. I guess which is also a preposterous thing to say, is delivering punchlines. You know, like, is this like a borscht belt computer? I, I I don't know. I mean, with that said, if they actually legitimately wanted to do this sometime, regardless of what the output was, I'd be interested to see what it would be. Yeah, I thought the art was really cute and kind of funny. Like, do this exact thing with a real, like, version. Now, they can come out with a video and prove me wrong they did this, and I will happily eat my shoe. But I really don't think they're going to pull that video out. In which case, don't even bother doing that. Like, and if you're going to do it, just just go re- funnier. It's somewhere dead in the middle of like not funny enough to be truly funny, and not dull enough to tell me that a computer actually did it. All right, Dan. So, any final thoughts on this comic book? Yeah, I thought like the. I mean, we haven't mentioned the art a ton. I thought the art was really great, and I feel like. Otley and Ramos really fit together, like, tonally. I didn't even think about how the book was changing artists in the middle of it. Like, it felt like it really, like, landed It's like as one product, you know? And, and I like when a book with multiple artists can do that. And I know that we pick on books that don't do that, so it's only fair to, like, say, this one worked for me in that way. I agree 100% with that. I feel uh, like... You know, as opposed to other books that sometimes play with this, like this, this, this felt cohesive, you know, even when we're kind of jumping from, from B, B story to B story, like it, it, it never felt like we were leaving Amazing Spider-Man number 25 to tell another story. So uh, with that, I feel like the art was completely successful in its execution. I still feel like Peter is a bit of a background character in his own book. His story is satisfying, you know, in some way, but it still feels very much like the B story here. And I'm, I really like for a big anniversary issue like this, I'm thrilled that we got so much MJ. It'd be great if Peter could also like have an equally satisfying story. I guess this kind of leans into my next point, which is like, I don't think I love these anniversary books doing this kind of like teasing out like this isn't what the next year of stories is going to look like. It can work okay, and I think it worked okay here. I don't know. It feels very calculated. Like, hey, this is our catalog for what's coming down the line in the next 12 months. Frankly, you're you're paying $8 for this comic book. I mean, you know, you want something that's a little bit more than a glorified issue of previews. You know what I mean? Like, like let's... There needs to be, I think, some bigger reveals than what we got here for this to be completely functional and, and, and effective. With that, I agree with you. I mean, it doesn't mean that... I, I mean, I understand the need to kind of set yourself up for, for what's coming down the pipeline, but, like, it doesn't have to be so transparent in terms of, like, oh, well, this is the setup issue, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that being said, like, if, if they just sold this comic as, like, an MJ-centric comic and we got the story in the middle of this comic, like, for just, like, a regular price of a comic, I think I'd be totally thrilled with it. I would have said this is one of the better issues of the Nick Spencer run. Like it's a very dialed in character oriented 
thing. Not terribly shocking or original, but a really fun read. So, you know, I think it, it's it's good and bad. I don't think it measures up to issue one, which I think, like, had a really satisfying Spider-Man story, had an interesting Mary Jane bits in it, and teased a bunch of storylines. Think about the Kingpin storyline that showed up in that. It felt very throwaway. But the core story was so powerful that, you know, it it worked. So, you know, I don't think this is a total loss, but I think for the price tag and some weird backups and a kind of so-so Peter thing, it's fine. And I guess to that point, we should get to our grades. Mark? Yeah, I was going to say, before we, we push the limits of our other, you know, longest reviews ever. Sure. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm going to get, I mean, despite some of my complaints here, I am going to give this a B because I feel like, certainly, like you said, the MJ story was a very solid story. I mean, there there are some things here that have piqued my interest, as is often the case with this Nick Spencer run. Um, I'm kind of just waiting uh, for more delivery on some of it. But, like, th- th- there's nothing here that's bad. It's just, you know, not as thrilling as I would have hoped it to be. But so, to me, B is right where it should be. Yeah, and I'm going to give it a B-. minus. I just think some of the backups were really sloppy. And, you know, editors, be careful about the stories you let go into books. If it's not working, you don't have to publish it and you can save us a dollar. I just don't want to be championing 7.99 books all the time, especially after like, you know, the expensiveness of hunted. Look, I, I'm not hurting for money. I mean, I don't have much money to my name, but like it is weird to see a book slide across the counter for that kind of price tag. So I just want to include that because I think it is a factor. Absolutely. All right, Dan. Well, this was fun, as always. <laughs> as always, a long one, but the issue was 60 pages long, not not your standard thing. But uh, I hope you guys hung around, all you listeners at home, till the end and had a good time with this review. Mark and I are still, I think, having fun reading these books, and I, I, I don't want to be a parade of negativity. I think this is still positive stuff. Curious what you guys all thought about this issue. I saw some people saying it was as good as number one. So there are people loving us out there. So, um, you know, good for you guys. Excellent, excellent. Well, thank you all for joining us as always and for supporting our show. Thank you. Thanks again for joining us for our review roundup of the all-new Amazing Spider-Talk. We hope you all enjoyed our coverage of the ongoing Amazing Spider-Man series. Also, for our Patreon subscribers, be sure to check out our Patreon page and your podcast feed this week where we've already got special reviews of the entire Nick Spencer run up through issue 32. Today we talked about the end of Nick Spencer's first year on the title, but if you're enjoying Amazing Spider-Man every other week, why not help support our show and get caught up with all of our opinions of that story at the same time? There's over 150 unique podcast episodes on the Patreon. Just sign up and boom, you can download them in an instant. Yes, and remember, for just $3.99 a month, the price of a new comic, you'll get access to all of those 150 episodes, plus exclusive new issue reviews, B-book reviews, and more. And for $10 or more a month, you'll get access to some awesome commissioned artwork, this time from Barry Kitson, as he depicts the tremendously sad moment that Spider-Man learned of Gwen Stacy's demise. Ooh. <laughs> also check out the Untold Talks of Spider-Man podcast, our sister show, as they dive deep into Spider-Man obscurities for us all to enjoy and laugh at. Those guys always make me laugh. 
Plus, we've also got the amazing Spider Slack community for you to join. Just check out this episode's description for a link to join our Spider-Man talking community. Mark, if I wanted to talk to you about Spider-Man, you don't really hang out in the Slack all that much, but you are on Twitter, so I'm pointing people there. Where can they go? Yeah, of course. You can find me on Twitter at ChasingASMblog. And uh, while this is not necessarily an, a venue to be talking to me at, you can still read my book, which has all my thoughts about Spider-Man before 2017, 100 Things Spider-Man Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. Is there any chance we could get 101 things that sums up the past two years? How about I just give it to you all on Patreon or maybe I'll start talking in the Slack and do it there. <laughs> that sounds good. That sounds good. And where can we find you, Dan? Yeah, I'm always online on Twitter at, at SupSpiderTalk. Just come on over and talk to me. I, I love chatting with fans, and I'm in that Slack all the time. You can kind of hit me up there. You know, you get bored when you're a teacher and you're in between classes, and the Slack is where I hang out. Part of being a teacher is imparting the youth with a respectful sense of, of life and, and good moral values and just kind of like wisdom to live their life by. And you're always the one to kind of impart things on youth. You've got a child of your own. What are some of the things you like to tell them? Well, you know, I, I, I like to tell my son, you know, how to how to live a good life and and be a good person. But but even more than that, I always want him to remember with great podcasts, there must also come the all new Amazing Spider Talk. Don't, don't miss the next installment.